In this episode, we talk to Owen Casey Stevens about the behind-the-scenes development of Starfinder. Also, Levi Moat with Daily Magic talks about Horizons that's being kickstarted right now. We also sit down with Matt Jacobs, co-designer for Kitten Clash. Roll the dice. Hey, nerds! It's Geeks of Cascadia. Geeks of Cascadia. Geeks of Cascadia. Exclusive tabletop game podcast for the uh, Pacific Northwest. All levels of gamers. Analog gaming. Tabletop news. Dungeons and Dragons and Magic. Stupid, mindless bad. There will definitely be some bet. That's probably our best. Lot that, that's, that's, our, that's our best feature. You are listening to the Geeks of Cascadia podcast, featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Games and Gizmos. Games and Gizmos is your friendly local game store with a great selection and a welcoming community. Come to Games and Gizmos in Kirkland, Washington. Now back to the show. Hey, geeks! Welcome to Geeks of Cascadia. It's episode 10. 10. Double digits. Wow, look at that. Look at us. All right. So I'm your host, Blue Samurai, and with me is... The Costasaurus. And we have... I'm Paul. <laughs> and of course, Geeks of Cascadia is your news to tabletop games. Everything has to do with tabletop games. We got... Designers, conventions, artists, game companies, retailers, you name it, that's what we do. Yep. We have a little niche. And <laughs> just tens of people are listening to us. Tens and ten, tens and tens. Tens and tens. You've looked that's at the right. info. It's tens that's and right. tens. And we have a great show today. In fact, Paul, what do we got going? Well, here for episode 10, we're really happy to have... Well, we were at Dragonflight, so we've got some people. Um, we talked to Levi Moat of Daily Magic Games, the maker of Horizons. Um, yes. They have a Kickstarter that's going on right now. As you're listening to this, hopefully, if you're listening to it soon. It was it, a beautiful-looking game. Beautiful-looking game. It's a sci-fi. It's a 4X, 4X-style sci-fi mm-hmm. game that you can play in roughly an hour, which right. is really rare. That's, so that's talk about a niche. That's a niche right there. totally cool. And the Kickstarter ends around September 20th. So... If it's um, October and you're listening to us, so you, yeah, check it out anyway. Maybe there's some stuff you can do. But yeah. right now <laughs> right is now, the time to act. Right. <laughs> After that, we have Matt Jacobs, co-maker of Kitten Clash, and he's a Playtest Northwest member. And after that, we have Owen Casey Stevens, lead designer of Starfinder. That's going to be an interesting episode, because we're going to go behind the scenes in the development of Starfinder. And this, is this one you picked up at Gen Con? It is. I don't know if you knew this, but yeah. I was at Gen Con. Hey, everybody. Oh, yeah. Steve with the Gen Con. I was at Just Gen Con. Just in case you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. What about con use? Yeah, we got a lot of cons. Well, the next con coming up is going to be in about... A month, and um, that's going to be Geek Girl Con, great convention, uh, really great with female empowerment, and that will be September 30th through October 1st, so it's just a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, they do still have passes available, you can either get a two-day pass for $55, or you can get a one-day pass for $40. Kids ages 6 to 12 is 10 bucks, and kids ages 0 to 5 is free. That's in Seattle at their main Washington State Convention Center. So that'll be in there. And awesome. Are you going to that? Yes, I'll be there all two days. Not sure if... No, the- just Saturday. Wait, you're going? Yeah, I'll be going there with uh, Madeline. We go one day. Oh, okay. So you're... Be there maybe Saturday. you can uh, snake a couple interviews, maybe, possibly. <laughs> one or two. Maybe. We'll, we'll see if Think we... My it. wife lets me... Uh, if 
Think about yeah. it. Wear the t-shirt, at least. Okay. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then after that, we have a really cool little con that I'm partial to called OrcaCon. Oh, um, never heard of it. And listeners, yes, I know there's probably many cons between there, but these are the two focuses for today. So OrcaCon is going to be January 12th through 14th in 2018 at the Delta by Marriott, and that's in Everett, Washington. Um, tickets are still on sale right now. You can go online and pick them up. The prices are going to go up. Um, I believe they are $55 for all the days right now, and in um, October, I believe it's going to go up to 60 No, it's going to stay 55 until it gets close to the con, then it goes up to 65 There we go. And get your rooms. Yes. Get your and rooms. Very important. And the rooms are great to get because there are people like Mr. Steve here who is just across a small ravine yet stays in the hotel, I, I do. believe. I um, do. That's a good way to make the best out of your gaming. I know there's some hardcore conners that, mm-hmm. you know, and with that, with OrcaCon, you can wake up at 7 in the morning, eat breakfast, mm-hmm. play games in, one, in a room that we keep mm-hmm. open 24-7. Right. When the con opens, do all the, ga- all, the, you know, all the games you've signed up for, your RPGs, all that. The con closes. You can stay up till four in the morning playing games. Drink blackfish out. Drink blackfish yep. out. Sleep for two hours. Wake up and That's do right. it again. So make the best out of the convention. I love it. You're selling it very well. Woo! That's it. I have decided I'm going to go to at least one day of OrcaCon for a little bit. That's <laughs> awesome. It's a awesome. great idea, Paul. <laughs> Speaking of conventions, what did you guys think of Dragonflight? I mean, we did that what last week? I yeah, think, right? I, I love Dragonflight. That was pretty cool. That was very cool. Lots of cool people. Definitely, it, it definitely has a nice indie feel, and so I really mm-hmm. like that there are a lot of the indie people there. I mean, you know, we have um, uh, the Daily Magic was there, and I mean that's just become almost a staple of Dragon mm-hmm. Dragonflight Con is just the fact that. You know, Daily Magic's there. So that's kind of cool. And I got to spend some time there and and uh, got to learn um, Quests of Valeria, which I, I, got oh, okay. in, I got in from Kickstarter. Yeah. I just not had the chance to play it. And that was a lot of fun. And then I just honestly got to, you know, spend some time with uh, one of the people with uh, Daily Magic. And, you know, she was so nice. She donated a copy of Go Nuts for Donuts for my classroom, which was very nice of very, her. Very, very I cool. love the way the convention was laid out this year. A big improvement from last I year. I thought there was more room. Yeah. Especially the first day, because there was this really cool podcasting group right where you enter the main hall of the <laughs> <Yes>. convention. <laughs> yes. Next to the Orcacon table. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to whatever group decided not to show up, so we took your table. I don't Thank even you. remember what that group was. I don't either. I don't know. But anyway, don't show up again Thank next year. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take your table again. <laughs> but we had a great time. I mean, we had car, the Car Wars Tournament, which, of course, is on the podcast right now. Check it out. In fact, Steve Jackson checked it out. So Who Steve, is Steve Jackson? Jackson? You might have heard of him. <laughs> He's an indie developer. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah I, I, I'll have to, maybe we'll do a podcast sure. with Steve something Jackson. Called Munchkin, yeah, or something called Munchkin. Yeah, something like that. Something Small... Like that game no one's heard about but anyway <laughs> he's heard he's um he's listened to our, he's listened to that podcast it was pretty cool um so anyway let's um we i guess should, we, we should dive right into this right? Yeah. we should dive into it I, so who's first i oh, do want to jump in i do want to do ahead. a quick shout out um everybody who stopped by the orca con table um in the diversity lounge at pax um thank you so much i was there sunday and met amazing people oh, that's you were right. so nice those of you that were interested in the podcast uh-huh. and picked up the cards those of you that came up and said, I already listened to the podcast, which was really awesome. Wow. And just um, that guy out there. Were they who, saying it with sincerity or were they just saying it to they be did. nice to you? They, oh, they okay. did because they came, they approached us. Okay. Um, and then that guy that I 
don't remember your name, but you came up to our booth, and I was about to say, have you heard about OrcaCon? But nope, you were wearing an OrcaCon t-shirt. Oh, right. Um, That's what we're looking for. Love you, but so many awesome people. And then any of the other exhibitors Mm -hmm. um, from the Diversity Lounge, if you're listening, you are so welcoming. I want to give a shout-out to everybody that was with us, Tifa Robles and her awesome son, just... You bring us so much laughter back behind the tables. Um, geeks out. I always have fun just chatting oh. with you. Thanks for the strong female character shirt. Um, and yeah, and shout out mm-hmm. to everyone else that I missed. Able Gamers, Geek or Con. Awesome. I totally great con. forgot about PAX because I was just there uh, last week and I brought my boys down there and uh, tried to do set up some interviews mm-hmm. for that. Uh, we're going to try to get an interview tomorrow. Uh, of course, for you listeners, that means nothing because you're listening in podcast. <laughs> but um, did you... Where was Tifa at? Was she sitting at our table? Or was yeah, she, she was right next to her. So we had Lady Planeswalker oh, okay, sitting cool. right right on the table to our right. And, yeah, so they were over there, and they were teaching just people how to play magic. Which, and by the way, we interviewed her, so you can check that out on the podcast. She's yeah. awesome. She, I just saw them teaching people, her, I mean, her husband, just everybody, and all part of people of that team, just very positive, smiling, and it was all genuine. And I just, I mean, that was our, that, I mean, that was diversity lounge in general anywhere you go people are just like happy to meet Mm -hmm. you and it's just i mean that's the same feel that you know um we love about OrcaCon and that we work really hard to make sure you get that OrcaCon too yeah and it's the whole theme that we we push but uh we actually gosh we gotta get into these interviews so i'm sorry who's the first one the first one is levi moat all right so let's listen to what levi has to say this part of the episode is brought to you by Games Plus. From board games to role-playing games to miniatures, we have something for the whole family. Come to Games Plus in Lake Stevens, Washington. Now, back to our show. Hey, geeks. Uh, we are here at Dragonflight. Uh, of course, I'm here with Paul. Paul, how's it going? Oh, great. Dragonflight is awesome. And, of course, we came in here and we went, oh, crap, we got to interview people. I thought so, we were going to play games. Well, we're going to play games, too. Okay. But we wanted the, into the, the, the game room, Big Giant, the, at the bottom floor. And, of course, I knew Playtest Northwest was going to be here. Yep. And who do I see? I was Levi Moat. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Levi. It gets mispronounced all the time, so thanks. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being on the podcast. Well, yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's great. So tell me a little bit about yourself, and let's, let's talk a little bit first about Playtest Northwest, and then about your project that you're doing. Yes, okay. So uh, my name is Levi. I'm with Playtest Northwest. It is a, a not-for-profit organization where we help local playte- lo- local Pacific Northwest designers get their games played at conventions and shows, uh, local game cafes and game stores and things like that. Uh, because we know as designers, we're... Uh, we're all designers and developers of board games. And so we know one of the most difficult things for designers to do mm-hmm. is find an audience of people who will play your game, who don't love you, who don't, right. who will yeah. give you honest, brutal right. feedback. And totally. so the way we do that is we, the way that we attract playtesters is that we give away prizes. Oh, so cool. we buy board games uh, and then we give them away. We raffle them away mm-hmm. uh, every couple of hours. Oh. And the more games you play, the more tickets you get more chances you have to win a game. Cool. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, so that really encourages people to come and play a bunch of games with our designers, and they can't get a, raffle, they can't get a ticket until they give their feedback for them. Right. Okay. So they have to give that feedback. Um, and we've seen uh, several of our designs, several people that come through Playtest Northwest mm-hmm. that have gotten their games published. Um, we've also kind of, uh, one of the other things I do besides Playtest Northwest 
is Daily Magic Games. I'm one of the owners, um, and it's a, we're a publishing company based out of Seattle. Okay. And uh, we've published a couple of games that we found through Playtest Northwest. Okay. So it's worked out really well. Um, it's a great it's a great resource for Pacific Northwest designers. Any uh, any games we might the listeners might know that you that went through and made it big? Yeah, so uh, the biggest one probably uh, recently has been Go Nuts for Donuts okay. by Zach Eagle. <laughs> okay. okay. Right. Yeah, Zach Eagle made a game called uh, Go Nuts for Donuts. It's a, a simple kind of blind bidding game mm-hmm. where you're trying to and set collection game. Uh, similar to people have likened it to go um, Oh, what's that? Go Sushi Go. People okay, like okay. it. Sushi Go. Okay. Uh, it has cute little chibi donut art, so mm-hmm. it's got All that right. same kind of cutesy art, food art. Um, but yeah, that was picked up by GameRight Games, so it's going to be in mass market retail stores. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the biggest um, singular success we've had through Playtest Northwest. And, and so, let's say I'm a uh, I'm a game designer. I, I got this idea. And I don't know what to do, and I just I pick up the phone and I call you. What's the first step? I, walk me through it as if I'm the first thing I would say is, "How did you get my number?" <laughs> no. Um, so ideally, what we do is we we go to game stores and we come to conventions. So a lot right. of times we'll have meet designers for the first time at a show like this. Sure. Uh-huh. And so they'll say, hey, what's this about? We kind of explain how it works. Mm -hmm. And if we have open table space, which is becoming more and more rare as the years have gone by, but Mm -hmm. if we have open table space, we'll, like, grab your prototype and sit down. Okay. And we'll get get some players to your table. Tell us a little bit about it so we can. Okay. And so we actively are recruiting people Mm -hmm. off the floor. Say, hey, you, you like games? Come right. play this. Do you right. like worker placement games? I got one right here. Right? That's awesome. Are they paying you any kind of fee or anything? Or so, so no. I mean, if we have open table space, you're welcome to, to sit and play a game. Okay. The way that you can guarantee you get ta- table space is by going on to our Patreon. Uh-huh. So we have a Patreon okay. account that helps okay. keep things, keep right, the lights right. on. And, and it helps us buy games so, and things to give away. Right. And so the Patreon, what that does is it gives you uh, guaranteed table space at okay. the shows. And yes. it gets you a badge. Okay. For the show. So if I'm so, a designer, I throw a couple bones your way, um, and then you guys help me, you know, advise me trying to develop these games, the games well, I have, right? So Playtest Northwest doesn't necessarily do development work, but okay. what we will do is um, make sure you get players to play your game, okay. get playtesters okay. to sit down and give you that kind of feedback, um, because it's just really hard to come sure. by. So, Is there a way for a designer to, like, ask other designers ask you questions like you know I don't know what I'm doing here you know thanks for providing this I'm getting some getting some feedback what do I do next I don't know I mean do you yeah I mean that's the good part about those of us you know working with PlayStation Northwest who are also publishers is we can answer that question like we know there are a lot of times where we'll see a game and say well it doesn't really work for daily magic games but we think that's a really solid game in fact the, the publishing community is small enough we might say like for example there's a guy in there today at Dragonflight right now playing a, a game where you are uh, kids uh, the, the floor is monster or the, the okay. floor is lava game okay. right? Yeah. remember that when you were kids you jump uh-huh. around furniture yeah. to furniture the floor is lava that's only a kid game oh. so he made yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he made a, he made a cool little card game out of that that game is probably not going to work for daily magic games mm-hmm. but you know I have my friend Jason Gatarski who runs green couch games I think it would be a perfect fit for his line Okay. Right. So, you know, so we've been telling Jason about it. Hey, here's the feedback we're getting. Here's a guy, you know, so we've kind of connected those dots, and hopefully that'll work out for, for Brandon and Jason. That's awesome. Yeah. So so we're definitely uh, here to help. Uh, the other good part about it is if if you're here, you know, demoing your game, you're only going to have so many slots, but you're here for the whole weekend. 
So when you're not demoing your game, we'll sit down and play another designer's uh-huh. prototype. Yeah. So sometimes you get whole tables of game designers that are playtesting your game. Oh, wow. So you get wow. really That's good cool. feedback yeah. from other game designers. Very cool. And this is like the hotbed, I think. Washington State seems to be the hotbed for this game board game development. And you're just kind of helping that incubate. Yeah, that's the games. idea. Yeah, we live... I, um, so half of us... Uh, uh, half of Daily Magic lives in Seattle. Mm-hmm. The other half, we live in Portland. So okay. we kind of divide our, okay. our forces between Oregon and, and Washington. And so, yeah, we've found a lot of really good talent all over the Northwest. Very, very cool. So, yeah. Now, you are also were working on a game of your own, right? Correct, Tell yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, so uh, I have designed... I, I have a couple of games that I've published. A couple I self-published. I had one that was uh, called Ruse. That was published through Game Salute. It's a uh, it's a game of like a social deduction game. Uh, and that was a few years ago. And now uh, the next game that I'm going to be publishing through Daily Magic Games. This is the first game that we have published that I designed. Uh, I've worked done dev work on the other games that we do, but okay. this is the first one I actually designed. Uh, it's called Horizons. Okay. And it is our first sci-fi game. Okay. So the idea behind the game was I love 4X games. Okay. I love 4X games, but they sit on my shelf and collect dust uh-huh. because they're so long yeah. and yeah. people don't like take that. Like there's a lot of people don't like the direct conflict. Uh-huh. So what I wanted to do was design a 4X t- style game of something that felt like a 4X game, but you could play it in about an hour. Okay. And you could leave out that directly attacking each other. Okay. So the the fun of I think Twilight Imperium without the ten hours that you have to put right. in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That Greg Pratt. Anyway, sorry, Greg. <laughs> no, like you know those <laughs> yeah those little those big civilization games. Yes. You get that big sweeping four X feel mm-hmm. in about an hour. Oh, go ahead. I'm- and so that's really what we have what we were striving for with this design. So uh, the game goes on Kickstarter August 29th mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna run it for about a month. Okay. It's uh, it's got a lot of cool chunky wooden bits. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking at this. Listeners can't see, unfortunately. We'll try to post it. Um, it looks like you control a little a little small stellar empire sometimes at the deal here. Right. Yeah. Each of us starts out as like we're just getting out into the stars. Okay. And so when the game starts, each player actually. Uh, You'll start the game by placing a star system mm-hmm. X on the board. There's a number of systems equal to the number of players. Okay. okay. So they don't belong to you, but but there's an equal number. Right. And then you explore by going into a bag and pulling sure. a random tile out of the bag. All the tiles are double-sided okay. with two different world types. So you get a different game each time. Yeah. You get a different game every time. The, 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 the little hexagonal tiles yes. Yes. with a beautiful planet on each each side. Mm-hmm. And so we are building these systems as we play, as we explore. We're finding new worlds that populate these stars. Okay. And then we build with our chunky little pieces. We're actually building on those stars mm-hmm. so that we can either build... Um, things to help us collect resources mm-hmm. or we can build colonies to help us control the star system okay and so you can get points in this game for exploring every time you explore you gain knowledge and knowledge is victory points in the game yeah. there are these little purple uh, triangular bits mm-hmm. um, those are knowledge and uh, the other way that you can gain victory points is by controlling systems okay and the third way that we have these mission cards that describe game states you might say okay. like occupy three frozen worlds or something like that and so if that's true at the end of the game you show it 
mm-hmm. you get and you can get victory points for that also. Okay. So there's there's several different ways you can earn victory points, and it makes it for that where you can really get some pretty deep strategy. Right. You're building area control, so you're not directly conflicting. There's no like destroying each other's okay. buildings. Okay. 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 So this is kind of a would you kind of call it cooperative in a way? Or? Oh, no. It's no, definitely okay. competitive. You're, you're, no, you're definitely competing. Um, although there is a, a merit to sharing a world, you get um, extra resources if okay. you share a world with another okay. player. Okay. So there's some merit to that. But you are competing for control over each of the star systems. And there's a lot of points at stake just in control. And so this, this is going on Kickstarter. Hopefully we'll get this up before that or right, <laughs> right at the beginning of Kickstarter. Yeah. So tell us about the Kickstarter, like what, what you're offering, if they put in how much and how much more and what so the, goodies, st- the goodies. Yeah, huh. so we're still finalizing all the things about the Kickstarter because oh. it's next Tuesday. Okay. Uh, um, so we were actually kind of meeting about that this morning, talking about some of the things we want to offer as stretch goals and things like that. Sure. And obviously, we look to the community for these things. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Daily Magic Games has really built a strong community base by listening to the people who actually put their money down mm-hmm. and buy the games, right? Yeah. If you're going to put your money down, we're going to listen to your ideas. And so uh, so we've done a lot of that. So we, we want to do things like... Uh, put screen printing on all the wooden bits sure. uh-huh. so yeah. they look a little nicer a little you know they've got a little more uh, more uh-huh. to them we want to upgrade the player boards uh-huh. maybe they're they're heavier stock okay. um, we want to and most of the things that we'll do are cosmetic kinds of things right. that will make the game look prettier look better on your table uh-huh. we already have some fantastic art from the Miko oh yeah you guys can see kind of the quality of the art this game from the cover and from you know some of the the art pieces. Right. Yeah. This is these are final. I art tell you pieces. what. This is. Uh, man, I, well, we'll post it again. But this is really good art. It uh, is. Yeah. It, well, almost like it's like this is a finished game. To uh, yeah. Once like again, really we're talking nice. somebody who has pretty much a done game yeah. before Kickstarter. It's really nice. Yeah. This is all. These are the prototype pieces we're using to show the game here. Okay. But, Great. But yeah, this is uh, the Miko who did uh, mm-hmm. all the work for the Valeria Card Kingdoms uh, mm-hmm. series that we put out. He also did the North Seas. Uh, and a few other games for other publishers. So he's really well established as a fantasy artist. Right. Uh, but we wanted to see what he could do with science fiction, and he really did not let us down. Oh yeah, at all. Guy. He's done a fantastic job. Well, Levi, I am. I'm really impressed. I'm excited about this game. I, I hope you do really well on Kickstarter. Thanks. Uh, thanks for what you do with this Playtest Northwest. The yeah. fact that you're helping, you know, these these, these designers or up and comers, and uh, you know, you, you're the one that's. You may, your name may not be on there, but the fact that they might be the next big thing, the big yeah. dominion or whatever, and you're a part of it. So thank you so much. You're making dreams come true. Yeah, believe me. That, I mean, a lot of people were very kind to me when I first got into this this hobby and this industry. So I want to pay that forward as much as okay. I can. Well, well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Vern and Wells, an all-inclusive, members-only social club for geek professionals in the style of Victorian parlors of old a space for this new breed of geek. Visit us at www.vnw.club. Vernon and Wells, Imperium and Imperio. Now to our show. It was great talking to Levi at Dragonflight, and what a great-looking game. It was super fun to look at. Looking forward to that on Kickstarter. Yeah. It's on Kickstarter right now, right? Yeah, it is now. As you're listening to this. It looks like it's already done, too. And uh, Yeah, I think the last time I saw it was like, Thirty-six thousand, and all, and I think his goal was like twenty thousand. Wow! Something like okay. That. Yeah, the, they um, they met their goal for sure. Yeah. Um, but now they're hitting all the stretch goals. I mean, they're currently, as the time of listening to this, their goal was twenty thousand. They've made thirty-four thousand. 
Um, and then again, the art is amazing. That is the Miko or Miko. I'm sorry if I pronounced it correctly. And he's done all their Valeria games, but this is the first time I've really seen his art in a sci-fi game, and that's really cool to see. <laughs> well, uh, um, you know, it inspires me to make my own game. Yeah, um, I know, Paul. Paul, I know you talk about. Dad, you, you have you a game. Know what? We do nothing but in our. We're not. We're not going to talk about it here no, because no. you know I've the big company is going to steal that. I know, that. right? And yes. I, and Steve Joe, Jackson is listening. Steve Jackson is listening for to hear my ideas. That's right. To steal it from yes. us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We've got the next Dominion. It's in our heads. Yes. Uh, my uh, mine is a World War II themed deck builder that you can pull the French for reinforcements if you play as the Allies. Oh, that. It's pretty cool. It's really Mine cool. deals with emus. <laughs> They're a flightless bird. Um, but we'll go into that later. Yes. So what's next? Well, what's next is Matt Jacobs. Oh, Matt. Um, Love Matt. Exactly. What a great guy. We also ran him at um, Dragonflight. Yes. And Matt did uh, yeah, Kitten Clash, Kitten right? Clash, yeah. Yes. He okay. to play Test Northwest, dude. Mm-hmm. Yes. I actually got to play Kitten Clash at... Um, Pax, okay. which is really great. Oh, how was o- that? Or at the over at the Daily Magic booth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun, and and it, just to sum it up really fast, mm-hmm. all it is is you know you get to pick one of two different teams. You can either be the pirate kittens or kitten pirates, however you prefer mm-hmm. it, or and the kitten edges, and you just play them down left to right in three piles, and whenever a pile of the same color matches, whether it's my yellow and you put a yellow on top of yours, mm-hmm. you s- have to hurry up and grab all of them. And then you just count points at the end. You get two points for each one of their cards you got and one for yours. It was a lot of fun. Um, played that. And again, props to Daily Magic for donating that to my class as well. <laughs> Very cool. That is so cool. And now we get to hear about how they came up with that. Yes. Awesome. And let's do that. This section of the podcast is brought to you by Around the Table, Linwood's premier game store and hangout for game lovers of all ages. Buy a game, play one of ours, or join us for a drink. Whichever you choose, you'll have a great time. Around the Table Game Pub. Now back to our show. Hey, geeks, this is Blue Samurai here, and we are podcasting currently at Dragonflight. Of course, it's over when you're listening to it. But I am also with Paul, and we are here rounding up game designers and developers, just grabbing them and having and forcing them and pulling to them out of the game room, away from their playtesting. And we have a guest with us, uh, Matt Jacobs. Matt, thank you for coming on our show. Thanks Dude, so much. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. And tell us about your... Well, first of all, before you go into the... I think your game you're going to talk about. Sure. Uh, is there any... Is, Kittens came in first, right? And then you got a new one now? Uh, yes. Okay, let's talk about Kittens. Kitten Clash. So, Kitten Clash is a 30-second uh, pattern matching or pattern recognition, whatever you choose to call it, um, speed game okay. uh, that that plays very, very quickly. It's a real-time game, and uh, that puts some people off, but we, we've had a great response from it. Just launched at ETX. Um, the that was kind of the soft launch. The hard launch was at Origins this year, okay. uh, which was a wonderful experience. Um, and now we're we're here at Dragonflight supporting supporting Kitten Clash and testing some new some new stuff. All right. And how'd you get this thing developed? What was the what was the seed? Um, 
I guess so. I I was watching my girl. My girlfriend's my co-designer on the game, and um, I was watching her play a version of Solitaire that I'd never ever seen before. And so I sat down across from her. And I was like, "What is it you're doing exactly?" She goes, "I'm playing a version of Solitaire I made." And I'm like, "You just make Solitaire? That's so boring." And, and she's like, "Well, I mean, it's something to do." I'm like, oh, "Fair point." Sure. And so I watch for a minute, and, I'm, and I grab a deck of cards, and I'm sitting across from her, and I'm trying the same thing. And then at some point, as all solitaires kind of go, we both locked. We couldn't get any more moves, right? And she said, well, I wish I could take one of your cards. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 why couldn't you? Hold on. And then that's kind of where Kitten Clash oh, came from. Okay. It just grew organically. Yeah, we, yeah we, we whittled it down to instead of having this big tableau of cards, just that, that one stripe of cards for each player. And heads up, and so, and that's where Kitten Clash wow. came from. Wow! And so now you a gamer anyway by hobby. You play board games, maybe sure. do some RPGs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I play D and D. That's kind of where I started. Although Magic the Gathering is really where I started when I was sure. 15 years old. Okay. Um, and then it just kind of developed from there. I feel like that's probably a lot of people's and, boring. And I story. imagine like <laughs> uh, all of us who all those nerds, like man, I've always wanted to develop a game, but now finally you. You said you got this idea going. I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we so we actually it was discovered at a playtest Northwest event. Uh-huh. We were um, we were there just playtesting it to make sure it was working properly. And uh, one of the one of the guys from Daily Magic saw it, and they were like, "Hey, um, when you're done with your at, at the." At the with your block here, uh-huh. you should come over to this table where we're at. We'd like to talk to you. Oh, okay, cool. And so we went over there afterwards, and after a little bit of discussion, we did kind of a handshake deal. And a year, la- this is now about a year later, and, right. and now it's out. So cool. you, you were doing this, and somebody discovered you, right? Some is a publisher discovered. Yeah. You. That is awesome. That's yeah. great. That's that, that actually happens quite frequently out of, out of Playtest play Northwest. It, it's kind of like the story where you have the, the struggling actress who's working as a waitress at a, a cafe and the movie director comes <laughs> yeah. and goes, I want you to be yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm, I think it I think it kind of is, is a, a good representation of the hobby because it shows that if you're willing to work hard for the thing you love, right. then... It's probably going to be successful to some level, right? Uh-huh. And that's exactly, I mean, I can tell that tale multiple times, really. So it's, it's, it's been a wonderful journey. Awesome. So you are also with Playtest Northwest, then? Yes, I'm, I'm here for Playtest Northwest, but I'm also um, at the Daily Magic booth selling copies of Kitten Clash. And okay, okay. I'm working on a couple of designs of my own, as well as uh, I'm, I'm developing several games that are also in Playtest Northwest. So uh, I'm kind of helping out those designers as well. Your, your goal is to kickstart some of these, or is uh, try to get a publisher to pick it up? So in, in one case, um, Alice designed a game called Peddlers that, uh, that I've been working on development on um, that one has been picked up by Daily Magic and will be going to Kickstarter in a year or so mm-hmm. is what we're told because Kickstarter is always kind of a little wishy-washy when it comes to time frames uh-huh. so we've been told it's about a year um, and then we've got a uh, Alice has another project that she an, another design project she's working on that's still in its earlier stages and, I, and I'm working the development on that okay. um, and she's she's already got a, a I don't know if I'm supposed to say it. A, a very well-known artist from this area working on the game. Okay. Are you talking about her? Beth Sobel? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you heard it right here. So, yeah, I'm almost, a like, journalist, almost you know. like we just spoke to. That's Alex. right. Almost. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so they. W- 
both of them were featured by um, Punchboard Media as a like women in the industry like kind of interview and they kind of like after reading each other's thing they started talking on Facebook Uh and it just kind of turned into this fun little project that they were working on and and now it's getting to the point where it's it almost doesn't need much more development like she I don't know how the hell she manages to do this so fast (laughs) she cranks out games so usually the the part of uh, being a game developer or game designer is you, you develop your game you have it out there but then you have to you have to sell it so are you just going from con to con to con? Is that what you're basically doing? Trying to sell this thing? Um, essentially, yeah. I think I think when it comes to Alice's new game, um, like that that one's going to be an easy sell. I mean, it's got a great artist attached. It's got a great designer attached. Um, the 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 person that's doing all the rules, Sarah, is is also. Um, a lady in the industry, so I feel like there's a marketable point there that um, that the internet will absolutely fall in love with, because the, these three ladies just came together and were like, "Let's make a game together," and and now and it's happening, right? And the only way a dude is involved is because Alice is my girlfriend, and so I'm happy to help. You know what I mean? Right. So it's it's just one of those things. So uh, tell me about your um, new game that you're developing. Can you? Talk about that. I can. So I'm developing an abstract called Zo. It's just X O. Okay. Um, and it's essentially a, a uh, kiss and hugs, right? Yeah. <laughs> you definitely right. spoke Thank to you. Alice. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> it's, it's, um, but it's just each card is essentially looks like a completed tic tac toe game. Okay. Right? And you're trying to manipulate the board to line the line characters oh, up okay. to score points based on the number of characters in the line. Um, and then whatever you score, if you score on X's, let's say, if you manage to also line up O's, your opponent scores on those. So there's okay, a strategic okay. element of, like, I want to line up as many characters as I can that I want to score, but I don't want my opponent to, right. to score off yeah. that as well, right? And so what you're trying to do is, uh, obviously, playtesting here, trying to break the game, trying to find... Uh, oh, it's been broken a couple times okay. already today, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it happens, man. You get very used to it. Right, right. <laughs> So, I mean, in the process of game development, do you, I assume you write all this stuff down and then change the rules right after? Um, yeah, uh, essentially. For me, I, I wait until I feel like it's solid before I sit down and write rules. Because if I'm just going to, if I'm going to sit down and play it once and then now I have to rewrite rules, that's a huge pain in my butt. So I'd, I'd much rather wait until I feel like it's solid. I do a lot of tracking with, with spreadsheets. Um, I use BG Stats. I don't know if you've heard of the, the app, uh, Board Game Stats. Yeah. Um, it's a great little app on the App Store. You can okay. you can punch in whatever game you're playing and kind of track like how many times you play that game and so on. Okay. And, okay. And, it gives it wonders it renders wonderful infographic information, and so I use that specifically for playtesting prototypes. Okay, so that way I can like sit down and, and export that and say, oh, this is what the data on this game. Okay. So yeah, that's that's a bit pro tip for any other de- designers or developers out there. Get be, get board game stats and just you don't use it to track your Valerias and all that. <laughs> just use it yeah. to just use it to track your prototype stuff. Cool. 
So now, if people want to check out Kitten Clash and they can't come to a con, is there a website they can go to? Uh, yeah, it's going to be up on Daily Magic Store uh, web store very soon. Um, we're st- still waiting on the bulk of the of the shipment to show up from the manufacturer. Um, they airdropped out a couple of cases just okay. for for this con and for like packs next week. Okay, um, but we're expecting it midsummer or I'm sorry, midsummer, midfall to have everything there and it to be up on the web store. Awesome. And how do they get a hold of you? Um, you can you. you can find me on Twitter. I am at PNW Beard. Um, we, we like to do little kitten clash giveaways on there now and again. So oh, wow. if, if it's not on the web store yet and you're not you can't make it to a con, you really want to get a copy on there, okay. a copy of Kitten Clash. You can come bother us on Twitter and, and we'll we'll find a way to get you a game. Very cool. All so. right. Well, Matt, thanks a lot for joining us, and I wish you well. Wish you much success. Success. Well, thank you, <laughs> sirs. Thanks. But once again, it was great talking to, to Matt Jacobs at Dragonflight and everybody else there, too. Yeah, and we got to talk to Allison Davis, or Alice Davis, I believe that's Alice, her name. Alice, yes. That's right. That also uh, co-designed Kitten Clash. And, man, she's on fire. I mean, oh, she's yeah. designed like three games within a year and a half. Definitely. Wow. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how she does it. But she <laughs> does Bad it. skills. I know. Yep. But, so, what I love about this podcast is we always talk about the, the, the indie game developers, but we also talked to some of the big league players as well, and so the next person up is Owen K.C. Stevens, who designed, who's the lead designer for Starfinder. Now, that game sold like hotcakes when I was at Gen Con. I don't know if you know this gentleman, but I was at Gen Con. Oh, yes. Yes, I was at Gen Con. Now, is this the game that they brought four days worth of? They brought four days worth of inventory out, and this is Paizo that brought it out. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones that did Pathfinder. They decided to do a RPG based upon um, kind of it's, it's basically uh, Pathfinder in space, basically. Okay. And they brought four days of inventory, sold out in four hours. Wow. Um, in fact, uh, Owen told me that someone approached him about like, "Hey, uh, I'll pay 150 bucks for <laughs> for the rule book," which is absolutely crazy. If there was like a little black market going on. Now, I, this the the prices of finally stabilized because yeah. there was a significant amount that was still they held back at the warehouse because if they didn't have any at the warehouse it'd be a lot of ticked off people obviously <laughs> but anyway Owen is great we're going to hear the behind the scenes of how the development of, of Starfinder came about it's pretty interesting awesome. so that's something to really nerd about so let's listen to what Owen has let's, to say yep Hey geeks, of course I am still here at Gen Con. I'm never gonna leave. And uh, with Greg. Yeah, I'm still here as well. And we have another special guest, which is Owen Stevens. Sorry, Owen Casey Stevens. Owen Would you Casey per- Stevens. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to say congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, what a great rollout that Starfinder. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, there was a little, little, little problem. A good problem, but as you said. Still a problem. <laughs> a good problem to have is still a problem. Yeah, we yes. uh, we brought more copies of the Starfinder Core rulebook than we have ever sold of anything ever. More, we have never brought this much product. We we increased mm-hmm. the amount by more than half for the most we ever brought. We really, honestly, thought we had a four day supply, and it lasted four hours. Four hour supply. All right. Yes. And so we were only off by a factor of twenty four. And my understanding is you still have a, you still have it in the warehouse though. 
to sell, of the, course. There are still some available right. at Paizo.com, um, but the rest of it is in distribution, right? So you can mm-hmm. go to your local retailer. There's a good chance your friendly local game store has it. Right. Um, and I'm told that on Amazon.com, it is now the number 70 of all products, not just of all game products, but oh, wow. everything all products? of all products is what I'm told. And, and, I haven't and, checked that myself. And probably somebody on eBay, some some jerk is trying to sell it for like, you know, hundreds of dollars or something I, like that. I have <laughs> been offered 150 bucks at this con for a copy of Starfinder. <laughs> just Whoa, a regular copy just, of Starfinder. Uh-huh. Um, and it's because right. I was carrying a copy, but the copy I was carrying mm-hmm. uh, was already promised to someone who was a signed copy, and I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't. I, it was not mine to give away. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, my, but people just get crazy like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can also buy the PDF on Paizo.com for nine ninety five. So if right. you want the rules, we, there are certainly ways to get that. And obviously, for something that's popular, we will reprint it. The, the question is when we'll be able to get it available again. But it's in distribution. Right. We're just sold out here. So, I mean, how long do you think that'll last in distribution, either? That, that seems... Well, so that's really difficult to predict. Um, a, a lot of distribu- distributors ordered large amounts of it, uh, so they they sort of saw this coming and, and had what they thought was a more than four-day supply. Uh, it'll depend on how many retailers pick it up and, and what the hype machine is. One of the things that can happen at Gen Con is that people can get very, very, very excited. There's an energy in the air. You're here right. in person. It's the con. You want to play it that night. And, you know, in most cases, no one's going to offer me $150 for a $60 book, right? So that's part of that energy. I expect that what is in retail will go quickly, but obviously we intend to reprint and and get Mm -hmm. that back out. So that is, I mean, that is literally not my department, but Mm -hmm. the people that we have at Paizo who take care of things like like printing and shipping and warehousing, uh, Jeff Mm -hmm. Alvarez, uh, Will Chase, these are... These are smart, savvy people, and the best solution will be found to make sure that if you want Starfinder, we'll get you Starfinder, even if we might not be able to get it to you on the first day of release. So most people who are listening to this podcast will know what Starfinder is, but there'll be people who don't, and they'll call it, well, it's it's just Pathfinder in space. So tell them tell them that it's not that. No, no see, Pathfinder <laughs> is Starfinder, but with wizards. Um, so, <laughs> okay, nice. the Starfinder role-playing uh-huh. game uh, is a a new game system, mm-hmm. but it is obviously inspired by and built off of what Pathfinder was. So, it mm-hmm. is the same universe as Pathfinder, but set hundreds or thousands of years in the future where advanced technology and new races and new threats and new ways of doing mm-hmm. things have all evolved. So, it's an effort to do a science fantasy game where we have gods and magic and spells, but we also have cybernetics and AIs and, and infospheres and spaceships and fashion light travel. And right. you know, We were just listening to uh, Sirenscape show us the sound of a maser because they've got a, mm-hmm. a new soundboard that they're using for it, uh, which is integrated. They, they look specifically at things you can do in, in Starfinder and made sounds for it, which is kind mm-hmm. of awesome. Um, but it's still a, a game where we expect you to play the role of a hero who works with a group to overcome the problems. But instead of the problems of maybe one kingdom or one world, there's a galaxy of trouble right. out there for you to get right. into. Okay. You could either do whole star systems or just a planet. I mean, it's really up to you. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the sense of scale is one of the things that's interesting and different. Um, we have a starship system, so your characters can start with a starship at first level and, and be that scrappy starship crew and fly from system to system. But you could also just say, well, we're just, we operate in Absalom Station, so it's even just one city, one place, and and that is where we operate. So like any role-playing game, there are a lot of options. It's just that we're detailing a a set of worlds called the Pact Worlds, which are the original solar system that our Pathfinder game world was set on. But we expect 
that we will be spiraling out and out and out and showing more different places that are available as the campaign matures. And we expect that GMs will use that as an opportunity to build their own places for adventure. So, so I'm just curious. I mean, so you're melding like high technology and magic together. And how, how hard was it to balance those? I mean, I think things like, you know, even your standard teleport spell versus a transporter and things like that. I mean, how, how, that's a that really, ever... that's a specific and interesting example. Um, so right now, there is no technology that can duplicate teleportation, so we don't have transporters. Okay. Uh, but you can build a device that holds a spell. So you can have a thing that looks like a machine that can okay. teleport you. It's just got magic in it. It's a hybrid of, okay. of magic and technology. Uh, we have two spellcasting classes. One is the mystic, and the mystic is very much about the connections between different things in the universe. Uh, many of them draw from a specific source of power, which might be a deity, or it might be a philosophy, or it might be a mysterious life energy that connects everything in the universe together. Whatever mm -hmm. it is you want to pick, that is your, your connection power. But our other spellcaster is the Technomancer. And mm -hmm. like a Necromancer, deals with the integration of magic and death. And a Druid deals with the integration of magic and nature. A Technomagic deals with the integration between magic and technology. So mm -hmm. our, our Technomancers know that in our universe, magic is a power like gravity or nuclear okay. fusion. Mm -hmm. It is a thing, it exists, it has rules, it can mm -hmm. be manipulated. And those rules are a little weird, and they're out there, and they can be chaotic. But you can put a spell in a grenade and get double the effects, or use a, a computer system to figure out where you want to teleport by going, using magic to turn yourself into a program, leap through an infonet and end up on a computer at the far side, um, or turn a bunch of junk into a robot that only lasts as long as the magic keeps it together. So those are the places where we can really integrate the, the sort of visuals and ideas of technology, but we can go further than a hard science fiction game can go and say, here are all the things you can do when you use both magic and technology. So let's go into the, the whole game development of this. From very beginning where everyone just at Paizo was um, in a boardroom or something going, hey, let's Let's do yeah. Starfinder. Well, you know, what, what how long this? did that take? You know. So uh, the first month or two or three of the process, I wasn't on board yet. So the very first question mm -hmm. was, Starfinder, do we even? Um, and, and how that long was, ago was that? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, go that ahead. would have been a uh, more than a year and a half ago. It'd be okay. nearly two years ago. Um, not quite. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was people like James Sutter because he was going to be the creative director and, and brand manager if it happened. Uh, Rob McCreary, who was our senior developer at the time, so is important. Uh, Jason Bullman, who was our uh, mm -hmm. lead designer and is now the director of games and of course Eric Mona who's our publisher um, and they were sitting around and knocking around you know what are the advantages what are the pros what are the cons mm -hmm. and we have always at Paizo liked the idea of integrating some science fiction elements with our fantasy uh, if you're a fan of Pathfinder there's the city of uh, or the land of Numeria which has mm -hmm. a giant spaceship that crashed in it and there are robots right. wandering the wastelands and, and that is very much held to a single place in Pathfinder, in that world of Galarian. So if you don't want to deal with that stuff, just don't go there. And your campaign setting can be a very much more classic swords and spells kind of thing. But it's, right. it's an option. Uh, we right. had an entire adventure path called Iron Gods, which was about, amongst other things, some artificial intelligences who were part of wrecked ships that were trying mm -hmm. to make things happen. Uh, we had a technology guide for that rare laser pistol from, from a different right. time in a different right. place. So it made sense to us that we had done as much of dripping and drabbing science fiction into the fantasies we could without making it something different. So the question became, if we want to do something different, is that a, a product we want to put forward? And so they, that, as I said, I wasn't involved in this part of the process, but they talked mm -hmm. about the pros and the cons and the scheduling, what should be done, and they ended up deciding that it was worth it. But if we were going to do it, 
we needed to make a whole new game so that there are we could integrate the game rules to handle the stuff that you do well in science fiction mm-hmm. well. We can put a laser in a fantasy game, but when we do, it's a rare artifact that you don't start a game with. Obviously, right. if we are doing a science fantasy game, people want to start with pistols and laser right. pistols. And, as uh, common as swords. Exactly, you know. as common as swords. Right. Exactly, more common as swords, now. most right. likely. And so that requires the rules to work in a slightly different way. And once we are taking that step, mm-hmm. then it seemed like we wanted to go through the entire rule system. This is sort of the point where I was brought on. Okay. Go through the whole rule system and say, is this the best way to handle this mm-hmm. rule for a science fantasy game? Okay, so when... And I'm sure with, with Starfinder, you could take the Pathfinder rules, tweak them a little bit, but then you're adding technology. What was the hardest part that you had... I mean, what was the tough nut that you had to yeah, crack to make the rule... To make these rules work? Um... So we decided that since we were adding, it was sort of a a cascading effect. We're Mm -hmm. adding a lot of options to the game because at first level you've got laser pistols and swords. So there's a lot that a a player has to keep track of, which we felt meant we had to streamline other parts of the game so that we weren't just making something that was flatly more complicated than Pathfinder. In fact, we wanted to make something that was at least a little simpler than Pathfinder, even though we're Mm -hmm. adding all this new material. So that caused us to look at things like, well, maybe we don't need to have people have one attack at first level and two attacks at sixth and three at 15th and an extra attack and an extra arm. So we changed the entire combat math, but we did it in a way that you can still take a monster from Pathfinder, make just a very few tweaks, and use it as a monster in Starfinder. So the hardest nut, and this is where the design team did a lot of work, um, especially uh, Logan Bonner and Mark Seifter did a lot of the hard crunching of the numbers of the math and putting together what the action economy looked like so that we can have a simpler action economy and still have the same effect in combat of the amount of damage you do and the amount of damage you take when applying it to a monster that is built using the different philosophy that Pathfinder used. And that was by far the hardest part. And part of that meant that instead of having more and more and more attacks, your weapons just become more and more powerful. And that also meant that instead of having Mm -hmm. to keep adding accuracy bonuses to your weapon, you could just get a weapon that did more damage. But that also had a cascading Mm -hmm. effect because, for example, uh, in Pathfinder, we've got things that do triple damage on a critical hit or quadruple damage on a critical hit. And when we have simply cranked up the damage of a single attack... Instead of that being double or triple or quadruple damage of one attack, it's a whole round worth of attacks because we combined that all into one. So we had to remove those mm-hmm. triple critical hits and quadruple critical hits. But then you say, well, how do I make these two weapons different? And so we added the idea of critical hit effects, where all your okay. critical hit weapons do double damage. But mm-hmm. if it's a flamethrower on a critical hit, it does double damage and it sets you on fire. Right. And if it's a missile, it might do double damage Mm -hmm. and knock you down. And if Mm -hmm. it's an electricity weapon, it might do double damage and the electricity arcs to damage a target next to you. So it's not (laughs) Mm -hmm. just more damage on that same target, but it does give us a lot of flexibility on making these weapons different so that we can have a plasma gun Mm -hmm. and a laser pistol and a chainsword and have them not just be different words with different prices, Mm -hmm. but have them act differently in combat so that players have that experience of, I have made a choice, and that's relevant to the flow of the fight. Did you find at any point while 
just doing these rules where developers were at odds like no oh, no no time. i think it should be this way was there any moment that you could think of maybe there were there were and how they, how did you win uh, uh, on these things the, how would you decide a winner on these if, if you put two game developers in a room and ask them how to do a game you'll get four answers um and and each of them are convinced that three of them are right and one is wrong so uh, part of that is the fact that and there is a hierarchy, right? We've got a, mm -hmm. a creative director and a brand manager in James Sutter. So ultimately, the decision is his. And when I say ultimately, I mean within the team, because we also have a publisher and we have an executive team. And, you know, sure. Lisa Stevens and, and, and the, the other people on the executive team know how role-playing games work. Mm -hmm. Lisa's been around in the industry for a long time. So they will also have opinions, but they mostly... They hire people they trust mm -hmm. and have those people do the work. Sure. So that is one thing. But another thing is you have to talk through... Uh, what the pros and cons of these various things are and what the possible implications of them are. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the creative lead, uh, Rob McCrory and I, are relatively famous for being at odds mm -hmm. over how things work. Um, and we just hash it out, and then ultimately, at least the way things worked out, right. if it is largely a world-building or lore question, he has the, the double vote. And if it's largely a pure game mechanic, I have the double vote. And we pretty much never go to that sort of pulling rank kind of thing on each other. We just talk it through till we come to a consensus. Right. But uh -huh. sometimes other issues come into it, right? Yes, that's a great mm -hmm. way of doing things, but I'll take 15 pages and we have three. Or yes, that's a great way of doing it, okay. but we would have to play test that for three months and the book has to ship in two. Uh, so yeah. there, are, there are also mm -hmm. just the realities of, of what your job is. So we, we like to put in a sort of a brainstorm stage, you put all mm -hmm. the ideas up on the board. And then you go through them, and if someone has a, a problem with them, they, mm -hmm. they analyze what that is, and we go over those analyses. So did, was there anything in particular that got cut that you really, really felt, really want to see go, that might come out at a later point? There, there is stuff that had to be cut because we either didn't have room for it or we didn't have time to make sure we got it right. The two that immediately come to mind is I am a, a fan of uh, Fist of the North Star, also known as Hakoda no Ken, which is a mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic sci-fi kung fu okay. anime. <laughs> nice. um, and... Uh, Th those are characters who will, you know, punch a jeep and destroy it. Mm -hmm. That idea of a science fiction level martial artist who has the power to to compete with powered armor and laser guns and and you know draws on on his mm -hmm. inner reserves to be able to to do a key strike that can mm -hmm. maybe shatter a robot. I love that idea, but for the core rulebook, this isn't a core idea. That is very much a, a secondary kind of concept okay. that. that so there just wasn't room to add that kind of, of idea to it. Then another idea that we cut that we all... And, and I, I, I'm not even sure we'll ever get my, my post-apocalyptic Fist of the North Star in the game because it may or may not match the kind of story we're trying to tell. Um, the other thing that we pretty much all agree, and I think all right-thinking human beings agree, we should have in the game at some point are giant robots in Mecha. Uh, yeah. And that is a case where hmm. we had a set of starship rules and we had a set of vehicle rules and we had a set of powered armor rules and those all work well. But those all take a fair amount of time to playtest and develop and, and make sure that they work with all the other systems. And we simply did not have time to also tackle Mecha. And Mecha really aren't going to be in the Pact Worlds, which mm -hmm. is where we're starting our campaign. Okay. And we sort of assume mm -hmm. that that's your base of operations. Pardon me. So that's another case where maybe if we do a big equipment book or we do a big starship book where we'll be able to say, mm -hmm. hey, here's another option in that vein. Here we have the space to discuss it and the time to make sure we get right. it done right. And so during playtesting, was there something in there that you went, oh, crap, that didn't, that didn't work. We're going to have to change it. 
Totally. Uh, there was and, a number of cases. And then what was the timeline like? I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of stress there going, oh, no, we got to go in there and change it. And, it, and I'm sure it sometimes it has too. cascade effects. It's like secondary and third effects. It, it Anything you can bring can. up and tell us? Um, so we had a beautiful, mechanically, mathematically, very useful set of rules for how you uh, create your ability scores for your character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked them a lot. I was a big proponent of them. We had the entire game built around them so that you got ability score points. And instead of just using point by basically at the beginning of your character, you basically mm-hmm. kept getting point by points so that it was later in your character's career easier to raise a low ability score to a minimum level than to raise a high ability mm-hmm. score to a super high level. And everything was built around them. So if you got cybernetics, those cybernetics didn't give you plus two strength. They gave you plus two points you could put towards any physical attribute. Okay. Okay. This system worked really well with yeah, those of us that... Because it sounds okay. Yeah, right now. With those of us that understood it. Yeah. And we, we had written out the whole rule system. And then we put it in front of a group of people who had not been involved in the process at all. And they could not make characters. The system was sufficiently complicated that, and these are, you mm-hmm. know, these are role players. These are right. people that have played a lot of right. games. Right. The general consensus was not only do I not understand how mm-hmm. this rule works, but this is so frustrating that I don't want to play this game anymore. Oh, so oh. that was period. the oh crap moment. So that, that's that's a, I mean, that's a game killer when right. there's a rule that you have to understand to play yeah. your game. Right. That everyone says yeah. no. I, if, right. if faced with this, I don't. I don't even want to open this book anymore. Mm-hmm. So we had to completely change our ability score generation system, and that mm-hmm. touched vast sections of the game. Wow. And that happened right. late in the process because, mm-hmm. I mean, the book was in layout. Um, so one of the things I had to do was sit down and, and literally do a search for the word ability because we've got ability scores and ability mm-hmm. modifiers and ability bonuses mm-hmm. and ability right. checks. Right. And every time it came up anywhere in the book, say, okay, does this still work? Does this not work? And, and if it doesn't work, Holy well, how cow. do we have to change it? Because it sounds like, essentially, you had to put the whole project... You had to freeze it for a little bit before we, you had fix we, all we, this. We couldn't freeze it. So I was doing that while it was being oh edited, while goodness. it was being uh, laid out. While, right. The, 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 when you've got a print window, right, right, you have told a printer this book for this many thousands of copies will be available on this date. You can't miss that print window without possibly missing your ship date by months. Right. Um, yeah, and, I, yeah, yeah. and the budget for, for a game company, especially for a core rule book, right? There's a, Paizo took a big risk with this. It's turning out to be a huge right. success, and that's great. But if we had had zero copies at Gen Con, obviously we couldn't have recouped any of that loss at this that's point. That's true, yeah. Um, and... So and you was, need this hype. You and, need the hype of Gen Con. You, you know? It's certainly useful, right? It's, right? it's an important part of the overall marketing plan. Mm-hmm. So that was just a case where that there's a reason why we're mm-hmm. professionals and we work together and we integrate. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there were, there were, especially for that, there were times in which I stayed at work until midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning so that the work could get done <laughs> prior to someone who has a separate right. schedule and their own other things they have to do can come along and read it behind me and make sure that I did not, when I'm mm-hmm. doing stuff at 2 o'clock in the morning, make some sort of stupid editing mistake. Um, and that's just, there's a series of interlocking tasks that have mm-hmm. to happen, and you have to be able to adjust them on the fly when you have a major issue show up late in the game like that. So right now, you're kind of like, you're feeling like the, the father that just had a new child right now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't want to be little fatherhood. I'm not one. I, I presume fathers are far, far prouder than I am. Um, the the mm-hmm. weird thing for me is that we shipped this book months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in two months, the Alien Archive will come out, and we shipped that book weeks ago. 
So my headspace mm-hmm. has mostly been on the Pact Worlds, which is the book that we only announced basically this weekend. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's the current book, even though no one else mm-hmm. has even seen any of it. And so when things are coming up for the core rule book, I'm always like, well, yeah, we've known that since June, uh, but right. okay, no one else does. So that's, that's a place where being the developer and being behind the scenes and working on design for new things can actually create a disconnect between the people that are experiencing the game for the first right. time. Because we're, we're lagging quite a bit behind what you actually know and have seen and And it also means no book that's 527 pages long is perfect, so obviously there are mistakes in it. And one of the things that happens Mm -hmm. is I'm two or three books ahead, and someone will say, hey, here you say that an icon is less likely to be recognized instead of more likely to be recognized. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a mistake? And then we have to go back and re-look at that and analyze it and say, A, did we make a mistake? Because not everything is. And and B, Mm -hmm. if we made a mistake, what's the best way to fix it? And C, once we know how we're going to fix it, how do we get that information to the player base? So so that's mostly just you doing that, or you got several team members? Um, So I'm the person that sort of compiles all of the Mm -hmm. possible questions, uh, and I'm the person that writes the first draft of any attempted solution, Mm -hmm. but in no way am I the only person involved in something like that. Uh, We have an organized play team. They obviously interface with thousands of players, uh, who are going mm-hmm. through things who might find a problem. And if they do, one of the things that we have to discuss, and that is a, a mutual conversation, is is this a problem with the game or is this an interaction with organized play that organized play needs a solution to that is separate from what we need for the game right. in someone's living room? What and, do you mean by that? So, for example, uh, we have an ability for uh, the theme that is the, uh, the outlaw, and they get an ability that you can bribe your way out of trouble. And we give some mm-hmm. very loose guidelines mm-hmm. for how much it costs and when you can do it. But that is a GM discretion question. Now, that's mm-hmm. fine for four people playing in their living room. Right, because right. the GM just decides, how do I want this to work in my game? How much money is appropriate? He knows how much money those mm-hmm. players have. And whether or not bribing your way out of this problem will cut off the whole rest of the adventure. Mm-hmm. But in an organized play environment, we need that solution, to pr- that issue, that power, to provide a similar solution when faced with exactly the same problem mm-hmm. in exactly the same yeah. adventure, no matter what table you're at. And so that, that here are some very rough guidelines for a large number of GMs to try mm-hmm. and adjudicate. Those GMs need more guidance so that they come up with a consistent, a consistent yeah, okay. answer than you need for your home. That's a, mm-hmm. a, a place where we don't need to change the core rule book. But we do need to provide some solution, and that might be here is the exact number that we want you to use for any time that we think it'll come up, or it might be, hey, in in Starfinder Society Organized Play, instead of that special ability, you'll get this other special ability. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, for example, why in Pathfinder Organized Play, players aren't allowed to take up any of the item creation feats and have their characters make magic items. It's because Mm -hmm. that's largely done in downtime. And it can right. throw off the wealth per level, and a GM can allow for all that. But it's difficult to determine what the downtime is in organized play when you're playing with a different group every week. Right. And and I know it's the added complication of developing a new game and a new system. When I, I sat in this panel just before this interview, uh-huh. and I went, I was thinking to myself because you had three, I think it was three different uh, programming computer programming uh-huh. companies, and they're going to be supporting this yep so you can do it online you can gm with this um mm-hmm. with your players i gotta think like holy crap while you're doing this you have to feed them information on on how to develop their stuff absolutely and if there's a mistake then they need to know fi- what the answer is. right and this all has to right. come out at the same time <laughs> yeah one of the things one of the things that is my job is that uh the people that do hero lab which is mm-hmm. a lone wolf they need to know if a rule is written in a vague way 
and you could mm -hmm. interpret it to be, say, plus one to one check or plus one to every right. check you make in a round. They need to know what the answer is so they can program it correctly. Yep. Now, sometimes that's a, hey, we're 90% sure you meant A, but what if you meant B? We're just checking, and we can just confirm right. that. Occasionally, it is one of those things that I said is like a typo mm -hmm. or, or an a old version of the rules that we did not properly excise. Those aren't super common, mm -hmm. but they do happen, and they need to know that. And so right. we have to make a decision, get it to them, and make mm -hmm. sure that we are implementing it consistently if we ever come out with a RATA, for example. Okay. Um, right. On top of those computer companies, we have partners mm -hmm. that are translating this game into other languages. Oh. And wow. those yeah. translators can say, I understand what you mean, I think, in English, but we could translate that two different ways into French, for example. Mm -hmm. So do you mean this, which we would describe this way in French, or do you mean right. this other thing, which we would describe differently in French, and is that wording going to show up a lot so that we need to keep an eye right. out for and, it? And I'm just curious, did, are you... Putting out books in different languages, like, does, do they all have to go out at the same time as well? They absolutely don't have to come out at the same time. Okay. Each translator, and these are our partners, right? Okay. These are their companies, okay, and they sure. license the right to translate these games with us. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them are already doing Pathfinder products, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. that okay. that's, again, we've got a, a, a Mike Kenway does a lot of our, our licensing stuff, and he works with them for what makes sense for them. But right. obviously, a lot of them want to have their books out as close to when we launch ours as possible. So we've got to get them those rules way before they're they're available I, to the general public. I guess we should mention those three companies because I, I I came in at the tail end of it. I'm actually glad it, it went over. Um, do, you, do you remember the name of them? So uh, it's Sirenscape who uh, do a whole lot of, of uh, uh, soundboard things mm -hmm. for your company. Uh, D20 Pro, which has yep. a lot of virtual tabletops and management, and then Lone Wolf, which has both Realmworks right. and uh, Hero right. Lab. Okay. So Owen, what? I, I don't want to take up over your time because we we all want to enjoy Gen Con. You got other things to do, but. So what is the future of Starfinder? What can you give us um, a little look into what's going to happen next? So uh, we have an adventure path, which is a series of six connected adventures. Uh, one comes out every other month. The first mm -hmm. one launched uh, at the con two days ago. Um, and that is the Dead Sons adventure path. And that will take characters from first to 12th level. And so the next one comes out in October. Um, so in addition to those adventures we are putting some world-building material into each of those. So we will have mm -hmm. articles about other planets like Eox, which is our undead planet, or Castrovale, which, which has a lot mm -hmm. of jungle on it. Um, but also some of the new, like we introduced new gods, such as the Devourer. And so you can only put so much information about that in a core rulebook, and then the rest of that information will be in an article on the cult of the Devourer, which mm -hmm. will also present a new, if you're playing a mystic, and your connection is to the Devourer, then you get some special options, because you're a Devourer cultist. Okay. Um, also in October, in two months, we have uh, the Alien Archive coming out, which is sort of our bestiary. Uh, it's mm -hmm. got a lot of, of different aliens from different places that you can interact with or have to fight or kill. As many of them as we possibly could, we also made available as player character options. So we have oh, some no. really strange <laughs> non-humanoids that, in, in a fantasy game, frequently you want your, your team to look like traditional fantasy novels, but sure. in a science fantasy game, you might want to reproduce the cantina scene, right? Where there yeah. are 47 yeah. different races right. and none okay. of them are right. human. So, as much as we can, our tentacle monstrosities and our robotic overlords and our hyper-intelligent shades of blue are, when we can, things that we will say, here is how to do that as a player character. Um, also in the Alien Archive is a series of rules for making your own monsters, which we made 
as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, it can mm -hmm. be very difficult and time-consuming to make a Pathfinder monster of a specific CR that has a specific set of abilities. So since we think GMs will need to make a lot of their own monsters to populate a galaxy, we wanted a simplified system for that. Uh, and then we had rules for summoning spells mm -hmm. that are in that book, oh. which we did not put in the core rulebook because we don't have any monsters in the core rulebook. And we, we literally weren't sure what for sure would be in the Alien Archive when we put wow. the, the core rulebook out. So we mm -hmm. wanted to hold on to those summoning spells and put them as a an appendix in the Alien Archive. Wow. Did, you, did you have a favorite monster out of the, that went into that book? My favorite monster, bar none, is the Nuar, which is a size medium albino advanced intelligence technologically savvy minotaur. <laughs> um, nice. And, and about one, less, 1% one mm -hmm. or so or a little less of the population mm -hmm. of Absalom Station, which is the big mm -hmm. space station where the planet Galarian used to be, mm -hmm. are Nuar. And one of the reasons they are my favorites is that they are the descendants of a single character named Nuar, who is mm -hmm. the Minotaur Prince of Absalom, who I put into the Guide to Absalom, which I wrote mm -hmm. a decade ago. So this <laughs> is getting to take an idea that I really liked at the time awesome. okay. from, from, from like one that. character and turn him into an entire species who have transforming technology as a result of their taking their natural affinity for mazes and applying mm -hmm. it to tech. It's good to be the lead designer, isn't it? It, it is good to be the design lead <laughs> sometimes. Do you any more little bits like that where you pulled from, from the other... Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we, okay. we look at when we do mm -hmm. things like that. Um, we had a whole panel about that on Secrets of, of Galarian, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of that stuff we want to let people look at and find and, and enjoy in their own. But you can All also right. go to the Paizodongon forums and mm -hmm. share your theories and talk to other fans of the game. Owen, I want to thank you so much for being on this interview and, and giving us insight on uh, how you developed this game. Clearly, you're proud. You should be proud of this. And I wanted to go more uh, back and how, how you got into this, but we can save that for another time. Absolutely. It gives me an excuse to. to talk to you again. Anytime. Right. So thank you. Thank you so much. Wow, that was a great interview by Owen, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I cannot wait to play that game. I can't believe you got to meet him, and I can't believe you're going to buy that and run it, us through it. I tell you, what, run it myself? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know, man. That's, that's pretty should. tough. I, I, haven't even, I haven't, G, I haven't even mm. DM'd or GM'd anything <laughs> so, in like 20 years, if man. If you're going to run that, I'd be down. Like, RPGs have always sound great. I've just never been into like the fantasy theme, which is the majority of them. So if there's a sci-fi themed one. This is definitely yeah. a sci-fi theme. I, I'd be down cool. with that. Is pretty cool, and I, I love hearing the background on on a big game like this. It, it's pretty interesting. I mean, people think, oh, you just throw a bunch of rules together and just throw it out. But no, there's a lot. There's deadlines. You have and to make it work. People and there's different personalities. So it, it was pretty cool to listen to. Um, so guys, what did you what did you think of the interview? What did you think of the podcast so far? I think it's great. Well, I think. Um, I think that's about it, right? I, I am sad that this sounds like it's coming to an end. I think maybe we should remind everyone to please um, like us if you're listening on iTunes. Mm -hmm. um, rate us and give us a five-star review. That would be awesome. You can even do a five-star review and say that we're terrible. Yes. As long as we get five yes. stars, that's great. That's right. Or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast, which is basically anywhere you can get a podcast mm -hmm. now, you can find us. We can say that with a straight face now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And... Um, um, please email us at geeksofcascadia at gmail.com. Follow us on, and the review was on Facebook at Geeks of Cascadia. Would you believe Twitter is also at Geeks of Cascadia? We have Twitter. We have Twitter. Yes. There's pictures of Blue Samurai riding a dragon on Twitter That's and right. on Instagram. Well, traffic was bad. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to get to Vax. And I, do we have an Instagram? We, uh, it is. It, it's, it is um, at Geeks of Cascadia. Well, there you go. We're everywhere. Mm -hmm. We are. 
So, I guys, I think that's about it. Yes. So, nice. I think we had a pretty full podcast. Yeah. So with that, embrace the nerd, and I hope you make that saving throw. Cascadia podcast featuring Steve Hobbs, Paul Anderson, and Joe Costa. This podcast is brought to you by OrcaCon.